I'm very old school about the real estate business. I mentioned earlier that it's still relationship sales. If an agent or a company focuses on having a relationship with a consumer and they offer uh, a good experience and good service with that consumer, they'll keep that business. That's still really important. You're listening to The Real Estate Sessions. I'm your host, Bill Risser, with Fidelity National Title, Tampa District. Thanks for tuning in as we uncover the stories of leaders in our industry. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 198 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for telling a friend. It's how we continue to grow and bring um, these interesting stories from people in our business to uh, to everyone out there who's who's listening. And, and today's going to be a lot of fun. My guest today is Paul Midelsky. He's founder and chairman of Leading Edge Real Estate, kind of located in the greater Boston area. We'll get more of that from Paul. Uh, but Paul, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, Bill. It's a pleasure to be on. Christine reached out to me, and she, she, by the way, I know she's been with you quite a while. She's doing some amazing work. I guess you knew that already, right? <laughs> I did know that already. <laughs> Christine and I have worked together and had the opportunity and pleasure to collaborate for almost 10 years now. So um, she's a pleasure to have in my work life every day, and, and I'm uh, blessed to have her. That's great. Now, we mentioned the Boston area. Are you a native of the area? Uh, say a native New Englander? Yeah, born and raised in Cambridge, Massachusetts, uh, and I live right next door in the suburbs of Boston and Medford now, so been a resident of Massachusetts my entire life. So I've had quite a few guests on from Boston and, and that area, and I, I have to get this out of the way quickly because it'll just eat at me, but well, I'm just assuming you're all things Boston when it comes to sports, Celtics. Uh, <laughs> am, I, am I headed down the right track here? Bruins? So, <laughs> I had a feeling this was coming up <laughs> at some point. I know you're based in Florida, and one of my best friends lives in Miami, and um, he's bored by all of the Boston hooped a lot we always have with sports he he's uh he says to me i don't know how you guys do it but yeah i i'm an i'm a huge sports fan i i watch anything i mean i i was i was thrilled to watch the women's world cup and i i couldn't take my my eyes off the tv for almost a month on that so I'll, i i really do watch anything and just the wimbledon championship that we just saw was amazing but in boston yeah we're pretty lucky we've got really good sports teams. We've got a great fan base. Yeah, you know, people uh, get sick of us, but um, we keep going. You think about it. Somebody born in the late 90s knows nothing but championships. It's just, isn't it, isn't it kind of embarrassing? Come on, it's a little bit embarrassing. All right, so I got two things on that. The first <laughs> thing is we have a very young workforce in our organization. Most of the staff members are under 30. We have 26 employees, and I think 18 of them are under 30. Mm. So, yes, what you just said is very true. They don't know anything but winning championships. They don't remember, as I do, before 2004 with the Red Sox. And they don't remember – I mean, yeah, we had – you know, with, with the Bruins, it had been a while until recently – the Patriots. And then um, I remember in the 60s, I was young, but I started following sports because my dad was influential. And I remember, you know, some of the drive of the Celtics in the 60s, but that's all we had. But the other point I wanted to make on this is recently somebody said to me, a parent who has a, a child in middle school 
said, you know, in most states or, or cities in the United States, they might have one team that's really good or a championship team. So the child only needs one jersey. But in Boston, you got to pony up for three or four of them. <laughs> All right. <laughs> let, me, let me find my violin. <laughs> um, yeah. So like I'm, I'm on, I grew up in San Diego, 40 years. I lived in San Diego and not one championship. Now, I, unless you count the San Diego soccer's indoor soccer team, they won nine. But wow. we're not really counting the indoor soccer league, right? Major indoor soccer. But I, I like I think it's great. I, you know, I like to have, have fun with it. And then, boy, I've got some friends that live in Boston who just don't let me forget. But congratulations. That's awesome. Let's move off of that. So some for, for me, happier stuff. Let's let's. <laughs> so uh, so you grew up in, in, in the Boston area, Cambridge, home of Harvard, right? That's kind of cool. Yeah. I would think. Yeah, yeah, good. Let's talk about. You're in high school. What do you think you want to do? What was what was the path that 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 Paul was heading down at that point? Yeah, it's crazy because I never thought I would be business owner the way I am today. I never thought about having a leadership role. I never thought about the real estate industry. None of that was on my radar screen at all. I kind of just tripped and fell into that, like probably most people, right? When I was in high school, and it's actually what I pursued on a post high school education, I wanted to be a professional photographer. I thought I was going to be a professional studio photographer. So post high school, I went to uh, the New England School of Photography and went to school there and upon graduation realized, oh, I have a lot of passion around photography, but I'm, I'm not sure I'm cut out for this as a career. Okay. <laughs> and at that point, I had no idea what I was going to do, and I stumbled into the airline industry. So I started in the airline industry in 1981, and I ended okay. up working working in uh, aviation for almost five years. In, in what role? What capacity? So it was interesting because I, I worked for, a um, uh, at the time, a startup airline. It was just after the aviation or airline industry in, in the United States from Ronald Reagan became uh, deregulated. So there were a lot of upstart airlines. It's almost like what's been going on in the real estate industry with all of the the newness that we've, we've been experiencing, but uh, we'll get to that later. But I worked for a startup airline that started in 1981. I worked there through, I think, 1986. We were a regional carrier up and down the eastern seaboard. And I was in operations, uh, started in, in you know, con- customer service, and then went into the operations side of the business, worked in, in, uh, with the operation at the airport and weight and balance with the airplanes. And I had one of the, I think, foundations to what I do today. I experienced and learned from a mentor there. My boss was a guy named Dave Barger. And Dave was based out of New York, and I worked out of Boston, but I reported to him every day and had to write a, you know, an ops report of our summary of the day to our, our Boston operation. And Dave Barger went on to found uh, JetBlue. So um, mm. he certainly was someone that was influential to me, but taught me a lot about operations, how to treat people, how to look at things a certain way. So he was a really interesting guy, and we were pretty young in those days. So it was a nice foundation for what I do now. So five years in the airline industry, but then, and this look, I did some research in my homework, and 
I, I can't believe the transition here. You go from this very structured, like, you know, dealing with people's lives kind of a career, because you talked about weights and balance. That's super important for planes to fly, right? To like the music industry and even running a nightclub, or I should say food and beverage and running a nightclub. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, so I did sort of a, a, an odd bounce, so to speak. I left the aviation airline industry. And uh, just by chance, again, I stumbled into uh, the entertainment industry, worked in Cambridge, where I was born and raised, in a nightclub called Night Stage. And basically, we had 250 live uh, shows a year of national acts. And we also had a restaurant, which we eventually turned the restaurant into a live dance venue. So we had a music venue and a dance uh, venue in, in the same location. So this is somewhere in the late 80s? 86 through 89. Yeah. And is there, was, there a, was there a type of music? It was very interesting because we had an eclectic venue, um, 250 intimate seats live, state-of-the-art uh, sound system. And we booked primarily, we did probably 20% Boston acts because at that time, Boston was sort of a leader in the music business. A lot of acts were still coming out of Boston. We did uh, jazz, blues, a little bit of country. So we kind of hit a lot of different fronts. Jazz was a big part of what we did back then. Uh, I remember, for instance, we had Dizzy Gillespie. Uh, his 70th birthday party, and I still have a photo at home, was celebrated in our club. So, wow, uh, you know, people of that stature, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So it was pretty cool. So I, I was still trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life, and it was a lot of fun while we did it. Yeah. Is there, there's a chapter in Nantucket as well, right? Yeah, there is. Once I left the, uh, our operation in Cambridge, I went to Nantucket for two years and operated my own restaurant there. And that was a lot of fun as well. Wasn't terribly successful. After year one, I went back for a second season. And at that time, Nantucket was a lot different than it is today. Uh, today, Nantucket's a year-round destination. But back at that point, it was still very much seasonal. So you had a busy season, and then you had a, 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 a slight shoulder season. Today, it almost operates year-round, uh, and it's much different. But we had about 10 restaurants on the whole island, and there's probably 50 now. And the second year I was there... During the summer months, uh, summer weeks, which uh, there were probably 11 or 12 summer weeks, I think we had rain 10 of those weekends, so we didn't have a great season. I was trying to figure out, you know, do I want to continue being in, in the restaurant business? I had made a decision by the end of that second year, I got to get out of this business. I was just starting a, a, a family at that point and need to move on and do something a little bit more structured. And that's how I got into the real estate business. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's an interesting story there, right? Talk about um, that, that, that one moment you went, oh, this, I'm going to get my license. So it was interesting because I had a, uh, I lived in Cambridge um, and my next, my next door neighbor, she worked as a nutritionalist in the 1980s. And if you, if you're of age and you remember that decade, well, she was making around $20,000 as a salary as a nutritionalist. And she decided to become a real estate agent. And she worked for a boutique real estate company in Harvard Square. 
And her second year as a real estate agent, she made over $100,000 in the late 1980s. Mm -hmm. And I came home from Nantucket, and she and I lived next door to each other, and we were friends. And I went over to her house, and I remember it was late October, and I just got back. And I said, you know, I really don't know what I'm going to do next. I think I'm out of the restaurant business. And she said to me, you know, you'd make a great real estate agent. You should get your license. So I, um, I, at that point, I walked up to my bank. It was before electronic banking. And I used to go up there, you know, once or twice a week. And the bank was in walking distance from my house. And I went up to the bank one day in Central Square. And on my way, there was a real estate office. So I stopped in to say, hey, if I got my license, would you hire me? And of course, it's not really not much different today. Anybody will hire anybody in the real estate business, it seems, except leading edge, that is. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so that's kind of how I stumbled into it. Let's talk about those early years when you first get your license. You mentioned you had, I think Dave was your mentor, you know, back in the aviation days. Talk about, was there a mentor that helped you kind of get your kind of get your bearings and get going in the right direction? So I started in a unusual way in the business itself. To answer your question, yes, there was a mentor, a woman by the name of Patty Brainerd. And Patty is still an agent today, and she's based on a compass in Cambridge. Patty was the principal of the real estate office that I went to work for. It was a small independent called uh, Agatha Marple Realty. And Patty and her business partner and life partner ran the organization. And I think when I started, there were four agents and probably at the peak, there were 20 plus. But I came in and instead of going into conventional residential real estate sales, I started in the foreclosure business because this was now 1991 and foreclosure was a significant part of the market in Boston. And Patty ran a company that had a, um, a significant amount of business stream or line with uh, banks. Uh, so it, I ended up representing Freddie Mac. Patty represented Fannie Mae. And then we both had a sort of a portfolio of other banks um, out of New York and other parts of the country that we represented. So I got into that part of the business and it wouldn't be unusual that I had 10 to 25 listings at a, any given time, like in my second year in real estate. I think that's a huge advantage for you, right? As you, as you now have been in the business quite a while, to have that knowledge, that young, that early, well, that's huge, right? So it certainly was a different style. Um, yes, it was, it was very influential to understand the real estate business. At that time, there was a lot of foreclosure. Interest rates were, I remember when I first got into business, they were in the eights. It wasn't like the 1980s when they were up to 18 or more, but it was different. Uh, we didn't have the internet driving the business, so it was much more of a mom-and-pop type operation. We used the newspaper for advertising, and we there was a significant amount of foreclosure in our market. So it was yeah. a really interesting way to learn the business for sure. We fast forward a little bit, and you become an owner again. You open up a Remax franchise. So what went into that decision? Because obviously, 
you're bringing on a whole different level of responsibility of, of work and all those things that go with becoming a franchisee. So as I worked with Patty in the foreclosure part of the business, which was about five years, I certainly learned to manage a lot of real estate transactions at one time and to put systems in place. It forced you to do that. I remember one of the lessons I learned from that is it was so much easier to manage 10 listings than you could ever manage 10 buyers because 10 buyers all have a different agenda or different needs and a different goal, whereas 10 listings, there's a system and there's a way to approach it and just do it. So we went through the foreclosure era. Um, and then as we got into about 1996, I went from doing 100% foreclosure, and then next year was 80%, then next year was like 40%. And I had to transition into conventional real estate because the market was now changing and foreclosure was drying up. During that time, I started realizing, you know, I think I could be a leader. I had a lot of thoughts around leadership, and I thought I could do it myself. So in 1998, I reached out, I, I left Agatha Marple, and I started a Prudential franchise, which I had for three years from 1998 to 2001. And I was never able to get that model to work. First franchise, Prudential was a good brand, but they were involved in a lot of different things. Real estate was one of many. They were involved in finance, healthcare, and certainly insurance. But in my neck of the woods, I couldn't get the franchise to work. I don't think I had a really good business model to make it work. I couldn't recruit agents. So in uh, 2001, early in that year, I decided I'm going to make a change. And at that point, when I looked around to the market that I was in, which was based out of Winchester, Massachusetts, an affluent suburb of Boston, most of the major brands were there. Caldwell Banker, Century 21, uh, Better Homes and Gardens at the time, and some local companies as well, mom and pops and regional companies. Keller Williams was not really on the mar the beat yet, but Remax was, and Remax seemed to have the most different model that I thought, well, maybe I can attract agents by having this really different maximum commission model versus all of the conventional offices that have, you know, 50-50 splits or something blended. You're talking about 2001. And man, I'm looking back because that's when I started in the uh, industry myself. Websites and that whole internet thing was really starting to explode right about this time. Were you an early adopter of that sort of technology? And even going forward, say, to like when social really hit it, no, we'll call it 07, 08. Were you always kind of thinking, yeah, this is, I'm not going to put my head in the sand here. I'm going to embrace this and move forward with it. That's a great question. I would say with the internet and uh, looking at what the web would do for real estate, yes. I remember in about 1995 or 1996, learning about the internet for the first time and the fear that in the real estate industry, it was gonna change everything. And interestingly enough, it has changed everything. 
the internet technology today has certainly made a lot of changes in what we do and how we do it. But it took a long time. But it didn't change things as dramatically as maybe it changed being a travel agent. Because looking back in my airline career, the travel agent at one time was very relevant. But it totally changed the travel agency business to today. I mean, you don't have in every town a little travel agency like you did back before the internet. Certainly, there are still travel agencies around, but most people book their own airline and hotels now online, whereas travel agencies are for more of specialized travel, safaris, or something of that nature, cruises, and that sort of thing. I thought that was going to happen to the real estate agent. So, yeah, I did really try to get involved with technology early on. I remember using Google for the first time in maybe 97 or 98 and then going from a, a you know, from a, a, a pager was the way I operated up and, you know, until I had a cell phone. I, I still have the same cell phone number from the first cell phone I had probably in 1998. I will admit though, I was not an earlier adopter of, of social media. And I still honestly struggle with it today. It is not a strength of mine. Christine is always trying to uh, get me to improve my social media presence and skills. But it is not something that I've really been able to use uh, with great success in my own business. Yeah, personally. But you have, like I said, you've, you've brought in the talent to help with that. Yeah, you just have to believe that it's necessary. You don't have to really like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, that's perfect. I like that. I like that approach. Yeah. You've grown this brokerage. You, you're over 200 agents. And I think when you started, it was single digits, if I'm right. Let's talk about how you approached this growth, You know, how, maybe how that changed over time. And, and the word culture is thrown around a lot. But I, I think the, the, the more I looked at what you're doing, that that really means a lot to you. And when you're adding someone to your team, there's a lot of thought. You kind of hinted at that earlier this conversation. So can, I'm kind of throwing a lot at you there, but let's just talk about that growth, how you, uh, how it works for you. And then did you ever just hire someone on a hunch and have it work or not work? Yeah, you're right. Culture is thrown around a lot, but I do believe that it is super important. Agents go to work for companies where they can feel something that they want. And for every agent, it's different. They certainly want to, you know, they, they, they want technology, they want support, they want leadership, they want to be able to get the support that they need when they want it. Agents are independent, they get into this business because they are independent, but they all need something. And culture is super important. I think when it really comes down to it, as far as being a principal or a broker owner or a leader in your company, they want to know that they can trust you and believe you and that you're going to help them to become successful or more successful than they already are. So that's pretty important. I feel in a lot of ways our culture is very much the same of when I started. Yes, when I started, I think we started with four agents when we opened our original Remax office. And I know there was a turning point for me back in the mid 2000s, our market was going really well. We from 2000 to 2007, you know, we had an awesome real estate market. 
I think 2005 or six is still the most homes that had been sold in all of those years up until now. And I was cruising along. I was making good money. I was listing and selling as a Remax broker owner. I decided to go to a Judy Lador event. And Judy is a, a, a coach and a trainer that helps all kinds of franchises and organizations in their growth with recruiting. And uh, Linda, my business partner today, and I, and we weren't, we weren't partners then, but we were competing Remax broker owners. We went to a, a Judy Lador event. And I remember Judy Lador asking me at, at that event, Paul, what is it? What is your goal? What do you want to do? And I said to her, well, Judy, I want to have 100 agents. And I think I had maybe 15 at the time. And she said, well, how are you going to do that? And I was in a room of 30 broker owners. And I, and I, I was, you know, I was, felt like I was put on the spot and she was very direct with me. And she said, well, how are you going to do that? And I didn't really have an answer. And, you know, we talked about it for a moment about, you know, some ideas I had around it. And she said to me very bluntly, but in a very respectful way, she said, you'll never do that the way you're working today. And what I was doing, I was, I was listing and selling real estate as a broker owner and wearing a lot of different hats. I, you know, wore the financial hat. I wore the uh, marketing and promotion hat. I woke the broker, broker owner hat. And I also had my own sales business, you know, so I was doing all of that. And the epiphany I had at that very moment is she said, you know, you can run a real estate company or you can run your real estate sales business, but it's really hard to be successful at both. So I made a decision, and I remember turning to Linda, who is now my partner for uh, many years, and saying, Linda, I'm going to stop listing and selling real estate, and I'm going to concentrate on growing my company. And I went away, and I actually did it. When I went back home, I started the steps or the process to break away and, and to disengage from being a real estate agent with a sales business and becoming a real estate broker owner and totally focusing on growing my business. And that was really the turning point for me. How about the hiring process for you? Did, you know, let's talk about that for a second. There has to be in your mind, there's this certain thing you look for. What's that thing you look for? So it's really interesting. It's not much different when I hire staff people. There's one or two types of agents. Someone who's new to the business who is either coming out of college and they're getting right into real estate or somebody that may be transitioning from another career. That's typically the model. We're focused on looking at an agent. If they're new to the business, how can we help them to be successful? To answer your question, do I always know? No, I don't. I've hired agents that I thought were going to be rock stars and didn't work out. And then I've hired agents and I've taken a chance in saying, well, you know, I don't know if this person's really going to make it. And they've become a rock star. What really is the unknown is if they're willing to really understand what they need to do and go out and do it and work at that task every day. And you never know when you're interviewing somebody if they're new to the business. If it's an experienced agent that you're interviewing from your competitor well, that's a totally different situation and that's a different conversation. But I found with, with people in our industry, our industry is still very much relationship sales. And 80% of our business 
is still sourced by repeat referral. And then the 20, other 20% is from other sources. So I still know that if an agent just concentrates on their sphere of influence and the people that they know in their world, and they, and they do that well, they can be successful. So right. that's really what I look at. So last year, big change for you, right? You and Linda, right? You decide to leave Remax and go out on your own. You, uh, Leading Edge Real Estate is now an independent brokerage uh, and, and covering a whole lot of different areas of, of the greater Boston area. Talk about that change. Um, is there, and I'm always curious about this when, when somebody's been, had that long-term relationship with one of the big brands, is there, you know, is there something you miss or, you know, how does that, how does that work? First of all, we, uh, we were a Remax franchise for many years, uh, over 15 years. And Remax was a great model for us for a long time. But as we evolved and became more experienced in what we do, and we became more, I think, focused on some of our own systems and the way we went about our business, having a franchise, Remax or any franchise, just seemed to make less sense as time went on. But it really was helpful to build our business in the early years. We became very independent in the way that we created our business model, marketed our company, and, it's, and at, at that point last year, it just made sense for us to break away and become leading edge real estate. We're super, super excited about it. Um, it was a significant transition. We've learned a lot along the way. We're very poised for our future. So it's been a great move for us. One of the things that I think Remax was very valuable to us was the networking part of it. So if there was one thing to answer your question directly, Bill, that I probably miss is that, you know, that that ability to to collaborate or network with other broker owners and agents. It's a little bit different when you're an independent. Um, there certainly is the ability, but it's it's just different. It's not as organized, you might say, as when you were with a franchise and, and it was it, it was a built-in network. So, um, but it's been pretty cool along the way. Let me let me let me get your take on a couple of the things that are happening uh, in the industry right now. Uh, so, you mentioned Compass earlier. Uh, I know Compass is yeah. in your market, and they're moving around the country quite a bit. I got to see Robert Revkin again on stage at Inman last week. So there's all these, we'll call them, you know, we'll use the D word, right? Disruptors. But things like iBuyers, right? Open Door, OfferPad, Zillow, Redfin, and their new their new um, kind of uh, entree into that space. And even things like, you know, all the data that's available. I know I threw a bunch out there, Paul, but what's your take? How, how do you handle some of that stuff? Uh, how, do you embrace some of it? And some of it do you have to kind of push back on? So... Being an independent forces you to look at everything that's going on. And I would say, I've been in the business for over 25 years now. The first 20 years, there was very little change. The last five years has been dramatic change. Equity firms have got in investing in real estate. Before that, it was much more of a franchise on mom and pop, uh, although still today, 55% of all real estate brokerages are independently owned. There's a lot of money being poured into real estate from Wall Street or Global or Seattle or wherever it might be. Yeah, you have disruption. 
and you know, I, I, I think about that word disruption and I say, well, is it disruption or is it just change? Redfin came in 10 years ago. Zillow came in and, you know, I buy her recently. Now, just last week or two weeks ago, you have Realogy and Amazon teaming up. There's innovation out there and everybody is trying to outdo each other. You know, everybody's trying. And, and then you have, you know, Gary Keller creating his own technology platform and, and, and trying to compete with Compass on that. You know, it's just everybody's competing in different ways. I think a couple things. I'm very old school about the real estate business. I mentioned earlier that it's still relationship sales. And if a if an agent or a company focuses on having a relationship with a consumer and they offer a good experience and good service with that consumer, they'll keep that business. That's still really important. Does having technology help that? Absolutely. To have a, you know, single sign-on technology platform and a you know, transactional software, absolutely. But I still believe that the agent and the brokerage is still relevant. So I'm constantly reminding our people internally that let's focus on what we do really well. Let's try to understand the outside uh, changes, you know, this disruption of different technology and different products that are being offered and try to work with that as best we can. Paul, I'm, I'm looking at the clock and I got to get you back to work. So I'm going to wrap this up with the same question I've asked every guest since the first guest. And that's, if you could give one piece of advice to a new agent just getting started, what would it be? The advice I would give to a new agent is, well, first of all, partner up with a, a company that can actually help you to develop your business that will pay attention to you because every company will tell you that they will, but not all, com all companies deliver on that. Some do. And to work on your own sphere of business and don't worry about all the noise out there in the technology world. Uh, it's still relationship sales. And if you just concentrate on that, that will be the, the foundation of your success. Paul, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? They can uh, reach me by cell phone or by email. My cell phone is area code 617-733-8519. And my email is Mydelski, spelled M-Y-D-E-L-S-K-I, at leadingedgeagents.com. Paul, thank you so much for the time today. It really, really was a pleasure talking to you. I love your... Uh, the attitude, the energy, the what you've brought to what you're doing there in Boston. So, um, congratulations! Uh, I hope the Sox, you know, catch the Yankees because I hate the Yankees more. So, go ahead and <laughs> we'll get, grab another World Series championship. I'm good with that. Yeah, there's two more months uh, to to catch up. So, hopefully, we'll, we will. Bill, it's been a pleasure. You do an awesome job, and uh, it was my honor to be your guest today.